Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 127, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, a software company tracks the work and communications of students in the name of safety, but are they going too far? And a lost cemetery may be located on a Florida high school campus. So now what? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, Kim Marshall is here to reflect on 17 years of the Marshall Memo. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by my co-hostess with the most is Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing? Happy to be here. I'm fantastic today. I'm always fantastic. It is getting closer to that time of year where you have to start Christmas shopping. How's it coming? Oh, I haven't purchased anything yet. this, this, This is a new time for us. Our oldest son is 22. Our baby is 15. And we don't have a lot of things to purchase. Right. I will tell you that I have all of my gifts ready for my staff. Well, I mean, I'm assuming your 15-year-old doesn't listen to the show, so maybe we can talk a little bit, right? He does. Oh, does he really? Yes. Because I was about to ask if, like, a yeah. car's on the list. We like, listen together, and he gets so excited. I think it's yeah. because every now and then we mention him. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So can we... I don't want to, I mean, give anything away, but, I mean, 15... Ah, uh, we won't give anything away. Okay. All right. But, you know, I, I know that... Uh, when does he turn 16? I'll ask that. In May. Okay, so he has that to look forward to as yes. well, I guess. Okay. He wants well, a car. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's what I'm getting at. I mean, that, what else do you get? You know, it's like when you date someone for five years, you know what they want. They want a ring. Right, exactly. Put a so, ring on it. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, are you into the whole online purchasing thing? Like, do you... Oh, have, that's, I, that's 90% of my purchases. How long has that been going on in your life? Probably six years. Yeah, I would say I, I need to do. I remember I sent a picture to Leslie, my wife. Um, it was probably like eight years ago of like the UPS guy. He was on my porch camera and it was like pick boxes like stacked up super high. And I just like sent it to her and I was like, my husband Santa thinks Claus. I own stock in Amazon. <laughs> You should, you know, like it's done <laughs> they very deliver well. every day. It's done very well over the years. And gosh, it just makes it so easy. But it is easy. Um, and then your options are actually are greater. I have found in different places where we've lived, the shopping was limited and I didn't have access to, you know, department stores that I truly enjoy. And so it just carried on no matter where we go. I just like to shop online. I do believe in, in shopping local if it's like truly local. Like if it's a you small know, business, I will shop. Yeah. Local. Like if it's like um, I go to kid, I go to school or my kids go to school with, with these people who own this store. Absolutely. That's where, you know, you kind of want to put your money, but I don't feel bad when I like buy on Amazon and not Best Buy. I will be honest and I don't go to you our know? local mall. Yeah, you know, so it's like those big stores because let's let's be honest, they put all the really small businesses out of business 10, 20 years ago. So small businesses have unique items to purchase. They do. And you know, and, and that, they're made with love. Yep. That's a good way to look at it. So, yeah, I'll, we can kind of do a shop local push there. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, teachers lounge. Uh, what do you know? What's going on with you today? 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm just all worried about cybersecurity right now. Uh, yeah? Yeah, I came across a, a, an article that is talking about how we are monitoring student interactions online. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting because you got to worry about whether we're going too far. Um, there's a school in Texas, unfortunately, um, experienced a school shooting. And since that time, they have invested in a company called Gaggle. I've heard and, of this. Yeah, and they're using their services to monitor all interactions with students via email, um, anything going on across their network. And it's raised a lot of eyebrows. When you think about high school students and they're doing research, they're on social media, um, there's just so much information crossing over technology is in, in schools now. Um, it's, it's an interesting time. Topic and you have to wonder who's uh, monitoring. From what I understand, what Gaggle actually has the ability to do is one, it can like tap into email systems. Yes. And track look for specific words. Yeah, look for keywords through artificial intelligence. But then it also can even go a step further and monitor, I guess, if anybody uses their school email to sign up for Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Everything. They look at their pictures. It's flagging all that stuff. All of it. Using a, um, I think, like some sort of nudity filter just to watch out for it. They have filters in place, but they also have hired some specialists um, that sit and monitor. They work, you know, full-time gig, just sitting and monitoring information that comes across their screen. What I will say about it, it's, it's as a positive thing, we're so concerned with um, anxiety levels and stress that young people are um, showing us that they're, you know, experiencing. And so having some type of way to monitor any type of negative communication, there's a positive side to it, but you have to wonder, you know, What's too, what's too much? You know, okay, so I'm really all over the map on this, in my opinion about it, because I can see times where it works. Like, so a student wants to write a mean email to another student. It can shut that down that's right. before it gets to that other student. The student never even knows that it was a thing. So that's... I and also that's, that's notifies plus. administrators that so it, a conversation can be held. Exactly. So I think that's a plus. Um, but I do kind of worry about, you know, it's monitoring social media and so forth. And it's kind of like, does that become too far? But then, however, I take a step back and I think I'm a school like this one in Texas that had a school shooting and you want to do something, right? You want to have a reaction. You want to do something, but social media is not our jurisdiction. That's not for us to monitor. But what if somebody was, let's playing, you know, Monday morning quarterback and they see that, unfortunately a child who brought a gun to school and and fired at other students had all these red flags out there. They were posting on social media, all sorts of things that would have been considered quote red flags and a system like gaggle would have flagged that, you know, it's kind of like if the technology is there, why act like it's not. That's true. But you just have to wonder, um, is that always appropriate? You know, I'm using my social media. I'm not speaking about anything negative. I'm not threatening anyone. But my privacy is, in a way, um, being violated because who's on the other side of the screen monitoring my information? Right. And, and as a parent, mm-hmm. well, if you know, we have a lot of issues right now with young people taking pictures of themselves and, you know, they communicate in a whole new way. Um, that's also a concern. Right. It is. And, you know, I have those conversations with, with my kids and I do too. I try not to over monitor, you know, like there's mm-hmm. some accounts like I'm on Instagram. I can see my son's Instagram, mm-hmm. but I'm not all up in his Snapchat world. And I try to give him I'm a not little, in mine's, but I try to give him a little space. <laughs> and, but at the same time, 
I don't know, as a parent, I almost would have a little peace of mind knowing that somebody is monitoring a Snapchat. Yeah. Am I wrong? I think it depends on their age. And I'll give you a great example. We have a, a monitoring um, software. Not within, Gaggle, but something not else. Not Gaggle, something yeah. else in our school district. And um, in recent years, of course, a lot of schools have gone one-to-one, um, increasing their technology usage. And we saw a lot of problems in the beginning. And remember the age that I, the ages that I serve mm-hmm. every day, kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, we saw a lot of reports and I get an instant email automatically from the system. It will give me the email address that it's used. It will give me a screen capture of the inappropriate um, text and I'm able to respond immediately. I was receiving so many in the beginning. I thought I'm taking all of these laptops back. Mm-hmm. And what I found is we had to increase our education on the front end about acceptable use, about cyberbullying. We have SIPA agreements in place where our teachers are now required to teach that during the first two weeks of the school year to make sure students truly understand the responsibility they have using um, the technology and being on the network. But we take it a step further about cyberbullying and whatnot. And I will tell you, I have seen a major decline over the last three years of the number of students who are typing inappropriately. Most times when I get an alert now, it's a new student. They've been with us a short period of time and they don't realize we have these filters in place. So I think it's helpful for these young folk. But when you think about high school, I don't know, I'm thinking about 16, 17 and 18 year olds who, you know, they're almost adults. Well, are the adults who work for the school district, are they monitored as well? Not necessarily saying in your case, but with Gaggle, like, I mean, do you think? I I do believe adults are monitored as well. Um, um, You know, we remind teachers all the time, your email account belongs to the district. It is not your personal email. So, you know, we tell people don't search for jobs on your laptop that's, you know, owned by the school district and be careful what you post on social media because at all times we're a representative of the school district. Now, this article didn't specifically tell me if they're monitoring teachers or not, but Gaggle is Deep. It covers so it's impressive. much. It's impressive. I'm software. telling you. And then there's, you know, three strikes and you're out. If it, if your email or your, you know, account is tagged three times, the administrators get a flag and then you're going to get some type of consequence, whether it's a two week or however long an administrator deems you not being allowed to have access. Yeah. And from what I understand, I think like Gaggle has like this filtering system where like the AI flags something and then it goes to like a group that's monitoring all these flags. Yes. And then those people can even escalate it to another group. And then it gets escalated to like the school and the administration. For goes a consequence a in place. Right, yeah. exactly. So um, that's kind of how the system works. But all of that, the software, the people who are monitoring it, it gets expensive. And Over $60,000 a year. And again, we've had a conversation before about school districts who have, you know, extra resources for things like this. That's a lot of money. to monitor emails. But I will say this, when you look at the inappropriate comments or the scary red flag comments, such as kill, bomb, Mm -hmm. you know, suicide, I want to die. There are appropriate people on standby when they see that happening, ready to service a child that they detect is in, you know, at risk for a major incident. Yeah. And and they actually shared, I think, in the article that you had, like the most often flagged questionable content for self-harm. And then they list like words for bullying. Yes. They they do. um, They're all categorized and they flag them, you know, automatically, you know. Yeah. And I mean, the the words, I can't even read these words on on air without having to put an explicit thing on our on our uh, podcast. But right. It is uh, it is quite the list. And uh, like I said, it's an impressive software. I don't. It's like it's so hard for me to say it's not worth the money because, like I said, like it I think it's worth it depending on where you are, how large your organization is and what issues you've been dealing with. I mean, you you know 
the culture and climate within your building. And if you know there's a lot of bullying going on, it's a lot of things happening, um, you know, on social media, then it's something that you need to be talking about. I mean, if it prevents one suicide or one shooting, it seems worth it. Right. Especially if you, know? you have the resource, you know, the financial ability. Absolutely. Yeah. But is it too much? And I don't know. That's tough to say. And back to the whole like email thing. You're saying like it is it is the school's email. It, that was something that I truly believed in when I was in the newsroom. Like we always had the right to basically put in a public records request for all of Christina Pollard's emails. If exactly. we really wanted that, that were used in the case of business and purchased with taxpayer dollars and so forth. And, Absolutely. and that's just what I think everybody kind of needs to keep in mind that it, that stuff is essentially run with taxpayer dollars and could be public. As long as the content that is being monitored is protected in regard, when you start to think about FERPA and child, you know, right. As yeah, long no, as it's protected, I would say it's an excellent resource to have. But you have to make sure the people that they're hiring to monitor the information that, you know, they've been through proper training and understand that, they, you know, not getting on social media and talk about talking about things that they observed when they were screening at work today. This um, article, I'm going to actually link into the show notes because it is so interesting. And it's not like, hey, Gaggle's a great software company. Like it's critical mm-hmm. of them as well and raises lots of questions. It's a pretty well-balanced article. It's by BuzzFeed. I think it might be part of like their investigative team. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, it's worth a read if you've never heard of it or, or you don't have that software at your school district. Um, I've got a bizarre story uh, for you today. And I don't even know how much time we'll spend on it. But it's just it was it's something that I just never really thought of happening. But apparently, this school in Florida, a high school campus, and I think it's near Tampa, um, turns out there may be a lost cemetery underneath the school. And so, oh, get the cameras ready. We're going to film right, a movie. Right, exactly. Here and we I, go. They're out there with these like radar guns, and they're like looking around the school for this, what they think was basically a, a, few, uh, a cemetery. Who for, uncovered this? How did they find out? They've been finding multiple cemeteries around the Tampa area. They found like this whole like tunnel system where like people were buried and these cemeteries were basically of people without means. I, and so right. they, they weren't like, you know, mausoleums or anything like they that. They couldn't purchase plots or whatnot. Exactly. So I think it wasn't well, really... Well, what do they date date back to? Um, let's see. This one looks like the mid 20th century. So that's the, wow. the mid 1950s, right? Is so that, now does that, that make yeah. the schools a historical site? Right, exactly. That's what they didn't go into at this point. So like, what if they find something and that's what was missing? So I'm going to continue to follow and no the story. grave markers. So you're talking about, you know, un, just an unknown amount of information mm-hmm. um, and historical findings right there. And do you have to like, what if it's underneath, you know, the gym? Like, do you tear up the gym and move the gym? Like, it depends on if they want to excavate or if they want to, you know, just dig deeper and see. Right. Who, you know, wow. I, I want to know more. I, I do too. It was a it was a TV station news story, so there's not a lot of information. I'll admit that TV stations aren't as good as newspapers at writing. In I need stories. you to follow up and come but, back. But we'll definitely be keeping an eye on this one because um, because it, it is interesting, and I'm curious to where it goes. I don't know if you remember this um, when they built the neighboring high school to where we are, um, Oak Grove High School here. They they started to build it, and it ended up taking a long time because there was a protected turtle. I think it was a gopher turtle that they found on the site as they were building it. And it I delayed, did not know. I think it delayed the school like a year. Like they had to bring in like a special ecologist to make sure that this turtle was properly moved and not just destroying its habitat. 
to take it off the site and the school. But I'm so glad they cared enough they, to pay attention. They did. It was apparently a pretty big local store. I think it was right before I moved to the area, but that's what I was told actually happened. So something that schools have to put up with that are cemeteries and uh, gopher turtles. Ha. You know, so are, are you ready for the bright idea? Yes, I am. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment served as a teacher, policy advisor, speechwriter, director of curriculum, and a principal for Boston schools for over 30 years. But after that incredible career, he became widely known in education circles with the publication of the Marshall Memo. For the past 17 years, Kim Marshall's memo has been emailed out weekly to educators around the world, and he has a brand new book encapsulating all of this work. Kim Marshall, welcome back to Class Dismissed. Thanks so much. I appreciate you uh, being on here, and I say welcome back because you actually did an episode with us uh, back on episode 89. I think we're like uh, in the 100s here, well into the 100s, but uh, we're excited to talk to you about this new book. And you actually have a co-author with this book, correct? It's it's you and another person's input? Jen David Lang is my co-author. She publishes something called The, the Main Idea, which summarizes a book each month, an education book. And so we were a natural team to figure out how to put this this book together. Yeah, so if anyone doesn't know, I think most folks in education are at least familiar with the Marshall Memo. And if you don't mind me putting you on the spot, like, just how many subscribers do you have? Do you have a way of, like, knowing that? Oh, sure. No, we, we have a database. Uh, tens of thousands, uh, all 50 states and 71 other countries. So it's really spread very widely, entirely by word of mouth. We've never advertised, and uh, it just kind of has gotten out there by word of mouth. And so this book is called The Best of the Marshall Memo. And um, since we talked back in episode 89, I became a subscriber of the Marshall Memo. So that's how I knew you had a book. You, had, I think, mentioned it in, in one of those uh, posts. And um, it really has been a good tool for me. It helps me keep up. I like that you... you each week kind of dig through and look for those stories about education, but you don't just look on what I would call like the consumer news side. Uh, you actually do a lot of digging, I guess, what I'd call it maybe in the trades. You do journals and stuff like that. Is that correct? Sure. Oh, yeah. I never know everything from Phi Delta Kappen, you know, the traditional kind of education publication to the Harvard Business Review, New York Times, Psychology Today, you know, any magazine or publication that has you know, insights on not only classroom stuff, but also leadership in general. And you've been doing this for over, did I say that right? 17 years, correct? So I'm in the 17th year, yeah. Okay, so you are in the 17th year, and you've been just kind of, you go, I don't think you miss many weeks. I think you're almost every week of the year, maybe you take a break around Christmas, but then... Well, 50 is a, ra- 50 is a round number, so I, I, do, I do 50 a year, and I have kept that up. So that means a couple of, couple of weeks off every year. So 50 a year for, and you're in your 17th year, and then you decided, all right, I'm going to take all this and pull up the best stuff? Is that what the best of the Marshall Memo is? The best uh, highlights, I guess, from educators? <clears throat> Very much so. So what the memo is, it really depends upon whatever comes in that week. So I subscribe to 60 publications. They get delivered. I put them in a pile as they come in, and there's some online stuff, but mostly it's, it's traditional hard copy magazines and, and so forth. And, and that's great that I can capture each week the most interesting stuff, but that also uh, is kind of random. You know, it sort of depends on what, what came in that week and at week or in some other magazine. So this is stepping back from that and saying, okay, looking at all 810 issues so far, what are the most interesting issues, for example, about time management? What are the most interesting issues about, you know, articles about teacher evaluation, about grading of students? And so I was able to go into the archive because there is an archive. It's online. You probably have looked at it yourself. 
and, and say, what are the very, very best, most thoughtful articles? And actually, the book uh, draws on all 16 years so far of the memo. We didn't, not the 17th year, we hadn't, that hadn't been published when we put the book together a few months ago. So it, it draws on those, and there's 128 articles, you know, organized into 11 chapters, uh, some of them I just mentioned. And, and so it really, you know, it, it puts together, I mean, if you think of a theme issue, for example, of ed leadership, uh, you know, they'll have an issue this month about safety or, or emotional intelligence uh, a few months ago. This is like a theme issue, except it has the advantage of drawing on all 16 years uh, and pulling together the very, very best stuff from all kinds of publications. Well, and so that leads me to a, a question I've got to be curious about, and that is, you know, things change over time with education. Ideas change and concepts change. And as you kind of reflected on this body of work over, you know, 15 plus years, what stood the test of time? What worked in those early years that still really stands true today? Some issues come and go, but some issues uh, really do stand the test of time. And in each of these areas, we were able to find articles, particularly, uh, let's say, just take time management. Uh, you know, there's a classic article on that from, I think, 1998 uh, by Freeston and Costa about three types of work, value-add work uh, that really adds value, uh, helps kids, helps teachers, uh, necessary work, which is sort of the scut work of uh, being a principal, and then uh, waste work where you're actually spinning your wheels and doing something that, that's a waste of your time. Uh, that's, that's a classic concept, a wonderful article, well executed. So that, that did stand the test of time. Was there anything as you were looking back at all these years where you thought, that didn't get enough attention and teachers should do more of that. And it kind of got, you know, maybe just looked over. Mm, great, great question too. Uh, teacher evaluation is an area, uh, for example, that right now is, is in abeyance. Uh, people are kind of sick of it. Uh, you know, there was a lot of attention to it during the Obama years and, and now people are, 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 are cynical and, and not looking at it very seriously. That's an issue I think that is terribly important. I have done a lot of work on that myself, uh, both as a principal and as a writer and as a workshop giver. I, I just got back from New Hampshire working on this just yesterday. And uh, so, so I think there are issues that are perennial, uh, but that people get sick of or that start ignoring. Uh, there are the issue of uh, looking at student work uh, and, and student memory, particularly what helps kids remember things, has come and gone. Uh, the, the issue of social emotional learning was ignored for many years and is now a hot topic. So mm -hmm. these these things come and go, and that's been the virtue of looking at at a period of you know almost two decades and and trying to find you know what are the things that really matter that really stand the test of time. By the way, speaking of, uh, of time management, uh, Jan and I decided that we would give away the time management chapter for free. So anyone that sends us an email, we will send you uh, that whole chapter as a Dropbox link, and you can read you know that that 30-page chapter. You get a sense of of how the book is structured and what's in that one. Oh, that's really cool. So how do they email you? What, what address do they use? Uh, Kim Marshall 48 at gmail dot com. K I M dot Marshall with two L's 48. The year I was born at gmail dot com. And all they have to do is just go ahead and, and ask for that article, and that should do it. Y'all, y'all kick it back to them. Yeah, just remind me, and I'll I'll send a, a Dropbox link, and you have the whole article. That's really cool. Oh, excuse me, not the article, the whole the whole chapter. The whole chapter. Okay, good stuff. And, and um, yep. so yep. I know you focus a lot on you. You have this whole section on structures for student success, and and how have you seen that change? I know you mentioned social emotional learning. Um, do you think we're in a better place than where we used to be? Gosh, <clears throat> I, you know, I hear all the time about new teachers struggling with classroom management. 
it, and which I did in my first year of teaching in 1969. That was the bane of my existence. And it seems that that just never goes away because ed schools are not doing a good job at training teachers how to manage classrooms. And so teachers are coming out every single year, coming out of ed schools, coming out of training programs, and struggling to control their classes. And you know, all their energy goes into that. I ran into an administrator a couple of years ago who said that during her first year of teaching, her fantasy was that she would break both of her legs in a car accident so that she wouldn't have to go to work for a while. That's how bad it was. So I think our chapter on classroom management really puts together some of the very best ideas about how to get over this and to have teachers start from day one, having a good grasp of management so they can really teach their kids. You, if anyone was listening closely, when I when I kind of read off all the different hats that you've worn over your 30 years, when you're actually working with schools, I mean, it was teacher and you're in the, the main office and you, you were principal for a while move beyond that, move to where we are now, where do you find your empathy lies? Is it with all those people or do you find yourself kind of, you know, writing and, and offering resources to teachers more than principals or vice versa? How's that play out for you? Well, I have two children, both of whom are teachers. <laughs> My daughter teaches seventh grade English in Boston public schools and, and our son teaches high school history in, in Seattle in a private school. And so I, I very much uh, relate and hear them. I, we talk to them both every single week and, and are with them uh, a lot, and especially humanities teachers who have a huge amount of correcting. <clears throat> so I've really focused in, in the book on trying to find that what are the best articles on helping teachers uh, correct less and have their students do more of the work. That's a big issue for me. Principals, of course, I was a principal for 15 years. I really uh, feel for their stress these days, uh, the tremendous amount of pressure, including uh, the constant daily thought that some lunatic may, may barge into their school with a gun uh, and start shooting people. I, I knew the principal who was killed in Sandy Hook and oh, wow. uh, just such a tragic uh, situation. So, you know, I think all frontline educators, uh, principals, teachers, instructional coaches, those are the ones that I really kind of feel for. I am doing a lot of work in schools still. I mean, every week uh, I'm off off in New York or in, up in New Hampshire. Yesterday I was and. You know, working, coaching uh, individual principals and also giving workshops and working with people around some of these issues. So I, I do see what's going on in schools, but I'm not on the front lines anymore. Who's, I don't know if you can answer this question, but who's doing it right? And that's that's so broad, but I mean, like who's doing education really well? I mean, you you have this unique perspective of years of watching, years of observing, years of writing about it. Do you have an example of anybody who's kind of like a beacon in the world of education? Oh, let me give uh, two examples. Uh, Nick Tishuk is the CEO of a large uh, charter school in Bedford-Stuyvesant, New York. It's called the New Beginnings Bedford-Stuyvesant School. It's a K-8 to school of about 800 kids. Uh, he is a gifted leader and has turned the school around and it is doing phenomenal work. I, I visit him quite often. I'm a coach of his, but I probably learn more from him than he does from me. And he's running an extraordinary school. His principal is Patience Brown, an amazing principal. Those two together and their, and their colleagues uh, have really, really done the job. It's both socially, emotionally a wonderful place to be in, uh, and it's also soaring in student achievement. They're out achieving their, their neighborhood, their city, and the whole state of New York. So that's an example of, a, of someone really doing the work in a school. Paul Bamrick Santoyo is another one of my heroes in education. He's written four books. 
He is uh, in the Uncommon Schools Network in Newark, New Jersey, but also in New York and Connecticut and in Boston, uh, running a series of, of, of amazing schools uh, that are, again, getting very high achievement from kids, uh, the children in poverty. Uh, there's some people in private schools that, that I really look up to. I'm working with a series of Jewish day schools that are doing incredible work. So there's people across the board. I mean, the bravery and just the day-to-day hard work of, of uh, teachers and principals on the front lines. But I, I did mention two there, three, well, three with patients who are who are just really people that I look up to as, as making these things happen. And that's what fascinated me. The thing that got me out of the classroom in, in the first place, I've been teaching for nine years in a Boston middle school, was uh, the reading the research on effective urban schools, These schools that really uh, overcome odds of their kids and get an amazing achievement. And that research, uh, which at that time was Ron Evans, was the main exemplar of it, that's what's always sort of driven me. What is the secret sauce of people who, who get amazing results in schools? And that was about to be my next question. I mean, do you see a common thread amongst these, these people you highlight? <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this, there, there, is, there really is now a much better knowledge base than what I first read about in 1978 when I first heard about this research. There's now a really solid knowledge base about how you go about, and one of the key uh, leverage points is teacher teams. Teacher team works like the, the, the algebra team, the fourth grade team, the kindergarten team, uh, sitting down, planning curriculum units together, and then looking at the actual student work that comes out of their classrooms on a day-by-day basis or from assessments, and, and sharing the best and most effective ideas, because so much of teaching is, is contextual. You know, there, there are certain general principles but a lot of it is day by day, and any you know middle school teacher will tell you they, they can have a lesson that goes really brilliantly first lesson, and then the same lesson second class doesn't go as well because of the all the other imponderables. That, I mean, teaching is so hard and so complex. So we have general principles, but then the, the the teacher teamwork piece I think to me is one of the big takeaways from the research is getting that to work right. And it's hard to make it work right, but getting it to work right is really what makes the difference. Well, Kim Marshall, the book is the best of the Marshall memo. Um, It really is a wealth of knowledge. And I appreciate you putting it together and taking the time to chat with us today. If somebody wants to get their hands on the book, I know we're going into the holiday season. Like what's the best way to do that? Are you available at at your, you know, I I think Amazon is is the easiest thing. Uh, You you can have it in two days from Amazon. Uh, And uh, if you're bulk ordering, the the publisher is is a good idea, but that's on the website. If you go to marshallmemo.com, Look on the website, you'll see the, the book there right up top, and you click on it, and you can see the email address to, to order from the publisher. But Amazon's the easiest for a single copy. Well, again, uh, Kim Marshall, thanks for all the great work you do, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Class Dismissed. My, my pleasure. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.